Turn to Exodus chapter 34. We'll be going to several other places besides that uh, as well this morning, but we'll have uh, any scripture that we cover uh, up on the screen for you this morning so you can follow along if you didn't bring your Bible. But before we get to our message, our, our children uh, uh, just were leaving there. Uh, reminded me that, that I want to just give you a, a quick update this morning on where we're at with our new Children's Worship Center. Uh, those of you that have been around a while know that we've been planning and preparing uh, to build a new worship area for our, our children. Many of you will remember that we presented a plan, a proposal to you uh, a few months back asking for your approval to go forward. Uh, and you did that with a great and strong vote of the membership of the church. Uh, since then, we've been finalizing the plans, finalizing uh, blueprints, uh, working with engineers, working with architects, and we now have a finalized plan for going forward with that project. Many of you have been asking about it, so we just wanted you to know where we stand with that. Uh, we're, we're blessed today to be living in a time that is experiencing great economic growth uh, in our nation. The economy is strong, the economy is good, but with economic growth off, also comes the uh, uh, inflation of prices and the higher cost of services. And so uh, all of the bids that we received for this project as we've been working on it, uh, surprise, surprise, they all came in significantly higher than the original projection that we began with, uh, that we had been given by our architect when we began. We have worked tirelessly, and we want you to know uh, your board, uh, your staff, your pastor has... Uh, stressed greatly over uh, this situation and we have worked as hard as we can possibly work uh, to reduce and cut cost and, and, and to take things out of the project that might, that might not absolutely be a necessity for us to do ministry to our children. Uh, we've done uh, as much as we feel like we can do and yes, uh, sadly, we had to take all the gold-plated uh, fixtures out of the project, and um, we're tore up about that. But a lot of people think, you know, that there, there's a lot of fluff going into things like this, and I just want you to know we, we have done our, our due diligence to try to get this project uh, down to something that uh, we believe honors God and yet also uh, is... Uh, faithful with the tithes and offerings that you bring to the church house. Uh, the current project still comes in significantly uh, more than the uh, original projections that we received. But in our last board meeting, I'm excited to share with you that our church board voted unanimously to go forward with the project and hire NBMC out of Spring Hill as the general contractor of the project. We do not plan to borrow any more money than what we asked you to approve uh, at the time of this project, but we also understand that the amount that we came to you with to be approved will also probably not be sufficient for us to be able to complete 
uh, the project. And although uh, we will be beginning construction as soon as our contractor can work us in the schedule and, and get started, uh, we're going to begin something today that many of you have never experienced because I've been in this church about 20 years and I only recall two times back in those early years that we did this, but we're going to begin a building fund campaign. And some of you have no idea what that is because we've actually never done it since you've been here. And so what that is, is basically we're going to ask you to seriously and prayerfully consider making a donation toward this project. That's all we're asking you to do. Uh, you can either do that or you can just go ahead and write a $10,000 check before you leave here today. If you don't want to pray about it, I don't have to pray about it either. Just write a check. All right. But basically what we want you to do is, is to prayerfully consider making a donation toward this. This is a much needed addition to our facilities. Okay, this isn't just something that we want. This is something that we actually need in our church. We have so many new young families with small children that are coming to our church. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so we just need to do what we need to do. And, and not only do we need, to, you know, the space that we've designated as a, a worship area for them, but hopefully we'll have enough funding come in that we can renovate a 20-year-old family life center that's out there. And I don't know about y'all, but I've been here for all 20 years of that ugly blue carpet, and it is time for it to go. All right? And so uh, any additional funding that we have beyond this project, we want to update a 20-year-old building that, that God has blessed us with. And so, uh, you know, basically you can make donations on your app. Uh, for those of you that installed the uh, GN app on your iPhones and Androids, there's a place there where you can give. You can go to our website and the homepage. There's a link there uh, that you can just click on and give straight to the children's uh, building project. Uh, you also can uh, uh, just give us a check or old-fashioned cash will even work. Just earmark that with the envelope that's there in front of your seats as building fund. And we'll keep you updated with how that building fund uh, is growing and increasing. And I believe with your help that the best is absolutely yet to come for our church, our young families, and their children. And I'm excited that you've chosen to be a part of what God is doing here, and you've chosen to be a part of this family. I'm also excited that you're here for week three of our series that we're calling The Name of the Lord, because it's because of the name of the Lord that we do everything that we do here. All right, and so we've been talking about it. This, this series has been so good, not because the preacher is very good, but because the messages and what we've been learning from Scripture is so powerful. And what this series is all about is this. It's basically the, the importance and the need for us getting to know God through His name. You see all throughout Scripture, uh, uh, the Bible talk about the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, and we see the power. We, we, we see uh, what is available to us as followers of Jesus through the name uh, of the Lord. And this is huge in our relationship with God that we understand this and we get this. I started this series out uh, with this statement that says, whatever comes to our mind when we think about God, whatever it is that comes to our minds when we think about or we hear the name of God or the name of Jesus is absolutely the most important thing about you. And it's my prayer that as we go through this series and we 
in this series next week that at the end of it we can all have maybe a different picture, a different vision of who God is because we better understand his name. There was power in the name of the Lord because here's the deal. The reason this is so important is because we tend to move toward whatever our mental image of God is, okay? We begin to uh, uh, resemble whatever it is in our lives that we worship. Whatever it is in our lives that we worship, we will begin to take on those characteristics. We will begin to resemble whatever it is in our lives that we worship. So how you see God determines more about your life and determines more about your relationships than anything else will ever in your entire life. I, I promise you. And so last week, man, if you weren't here last week, wow. Uh, it, it was, we talked about last week and we saw, we didn't just talk about it, we experienced it, we sensed it, we saw the compassion of God last week, the love uh, of God last week, and, and, and it was absolutely awesome. I, I receive a lot of feedback often from my messages, but last week I probably received more positive feedback than any, any message that I've ever preached since I've been preaching here. So many people talked about it, commented on it said, you know, how wonderful it was and how God spoke to them uh, in that and, and through that. Uh, we love to be reminded about God's love, don't we? We love to talk about God's amazing grace and his compassion and, and his mercy and, and to experience God's love because his love for us is absolutely amazing and there's no doubt about it. But this week, we're going to learn more about God and maybe this week, this is a characteristic of God that's not as popular uh, as the one that we looked at last week and the one that we saw last week. But today we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. And I have a feeling that no one will put on Facebook or come and tell me this week how much they enjoyed this message. But we can't avoid it. We can't just skip over it, you know, and I believe that if we're all totally honest today after talking about and understanding the love of God and feeling so good about how much God loves us and what he's done for us, the wrath of God is something that we really don't like to talk about. We, we really, you know, it's something that's more difficult for us to understand and, and wrap our minds around. And, and I know that, that many people come in here and they come to our church and they visit. And before they actually get to know us or they, before they get to know me, they think, you know, the, the, the pastor uh, of all people in the church should be the one who has everything figured out, right? The pastor of all the people in the church uh, should be the one that has it all together. And I'm sure some of you think that I probably wake up every Sunday single day and I open my eyes and I say, you know, good morning, Lord. And then I get my harp out and I play him some praise songs, you know, and it's just a glorious experience each and every day. But for those of you that know me well, you know that I hardly ever do that. And by hardly, I mean never, you know, instead of waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, Lord, I wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning, right? <laughs> And Lynette can testify to this. She said, I've never seen anybody in my life, especially someone who's been called to preach, wake up every single day and regret the fact that God gave you another day to live and wake up. 
And I'm just not a morning person, right? And so, you know, uh, here's the deal. I tell you this all the time because it's the absolute truth. I'm no different than you, okay? I, I, I didn't get a special card when I became a preacher that says, oh, you're high and mighty and here's your pedestal, right? I don't want to be on your pedestal. People on pedestals? Fall off, break their necks, you know, and break bones and things like that. I'm no different than many of you. I have just been called and I've been placed in a position where I get the opportunity to teach people about God. And I get to share, you know, God's Word and, and teach what the Bible has to say. And most of the time, I'm sharing that with people who are just like me. Right? And, and so it's a blessing. But the reason, you know, this morning I can say that it's easy for us to want to talk uh, about the love of God, but it makes us uncomfortable to talk about and think about the wrath of God. The reason I can say that is because I know you, because I know me. And I know that when, I, you know, I became a pastor, like I said, I didn't receive this card, special card that exempts me from having questions or exempts me from having, having doubts or not being able to understand everything that's in the Bible. And honestly, there have been times in my life when I have really struggled with the fact that a loving God could also be a God of wrath. And if you're here this morning and you've never struggled with that, you've never thought about it. That God is such a loving God, this incredibly merciful and compassionate God that we, we talked about last week could also be a God of wrath. And I believe that this is the very subject that, that is one of the biggest obstacles when it comes to some people placing their faith in God and believing in Him and walking in Him. In him. And I believe, honestly, if we were all honest today, if we had the authority and a spiritual eraser, we would like go through the Bible and we would erase all of that bad stuff, right? We would take it out because we're not comfortable with it. We don't like it. But we can't take it out of the Bible. And we shouldn't because even though it's a different, difficult subject, can I just tell you, it's a good subject. And I believe that it is important. I believe that it is essential to knowing, loving, and worshiping God. Because a God without wrath is a God without goodness. And let me show you this morning, Exodus 34 is where we've been the last few weeks as we've been unpacking the name of the Lord. Go back, go back a chapter. Moses asked God to see his glory. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you in your fullness. And here's what God says in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19. God says this, I will cause all my what? All right, don't miss what he's saying here. God says, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. And so God, what does God do? God puts Moses in a cave in the cleft of the rock. He takes his hand. He, he puts it over uh, Moses and he says this in Exodus 34 starting at uh, verse number 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and he called out his own name, Yahweh. 
The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Don't you love that about God? He's a God of compassion and mercy. We saw that last week. He says, I'm slow to anger. I'm glad about that. And I'm filled, God says, filled with unfailing love. This steadfast love and faithfulness. I, I love the, the, the way uh, it says it here in this next verse. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. And I'll forgive sin. And we all go, amen. That's great stuff. We love that God, don't we? We love God because he does all these awesome things for us. But the declaration of who he is does not stop there. He says, I'm going to reveal all of my goodness to you through my name, and it doesn't just stop with the love and the forgiveness. He says, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. Now, wouldn't you like to take your little spiritual eraser and get rid of that? <laughs> And I believe there are several things in these verses that God says to us this morning about himself and about his name and the wrath of God that are very important to us today that we can't just skip over or erase. The first thing is this, and it's very simple. God's wrath is real. It's crystal clear in this passage, and I don't see how you could deny it, that God's wrath is real. And we saw last week about how the Bible over and over and over again teaches us about God's love. How we can sense it. How we can experience. And the Bible speaks a lot about God's love. But listen, it also talks a lot about God's wrath. The Bible speaks of God's wrath more than 600 times. Matter of fact, the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 7 and verse 11 that God displays his wrath every single day. And can I tell you, this isn't just an Old Testament teaching. A lot of people look at this and go, well, you know what? That was the Old Testament God. That was before Jesus came along. You, you know, you read the Old Testament, you think, well, God must, you know, be in a bad mood. This is the Old Testament God. But when Jesus came along, he was this person of love and mercy and grace. He was humble and meek and mild and all of this. This isn't just an Old Testament teaching. Let me tell you something. You go read your New Testament and you will see that Jesus continually taught about the wrath of God. Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 36, he said, whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. Listen, it wasn't Jesus' teaching about God's love that got him killed. It was Jesus' teaching about people being hypocrites and it was Jesus' teaching about the wrath of God that ticked them all off that made them all mad and went and hung him on the cross. It wasn't because he was speaking about love and mercy and grace and meek and mildness and being humble. It was because he was calling sin what it was. He was calling the hypocrites who they were, and that was hypocrites, and he was talking about the wrath of God, and they did not like it. And so they killed him. If you deny that God's wrath is real, then you would have to deny your whole Bible. The second thing that we need to understand is this. God's wrath demonstrates his goodness. 
And at first glance, this may look like a contradiction, actually. But it's not. Notice that God didn't say, Moses, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass in front of you, but there's going to be a little bad mixed in there too because some days I'm just in a bad mood. Right? No. His wrath, don't miss this, his wrath was a part of his goodness that he was showing Moses. It's a part of his goodness. It's all goodness. God's goodness would not be goodness without his wrath. Because here's the deal, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but his wrath grows out of his goodness and his love for us. His wrath grows out of his compassion that he has for us. And we talked about the illustration for those of us uh, who are parents. And again, as a dad, I love my kids. And as a dad, I get angry with them. Especially when I see things that will harm them, like dishonesty or, or being lazy. I get angry when I see these characteristics in, in my children. Not because I don't love them, it's because I do love them. God is angry at sin because He loves us and He knows that sin is going to destroy us. It's a cancer that will eat away and eat away at us until we are destroyed. And because God loves us, because we have a loving God, He just can't sit back and watch it happen. Think about it. What does God want to do? He wants to bring us to heaven. And heaven will only be heaven if there is no sin there. <laughs> All right? So heaven is a place where there's no sin. There's no pain. There's no crying. It's a place where you don't have to lock your doors. I had a little, I had a little stinky prowler convict something other around my house this week. It just makes me angry that people are thieves. You know what? But, but, but I knew they were out there and so now you know, I'm having to pay extra attention that I'm keeping my vehicle locked. I'm you know, keeping a light on. I got to keep all the doors locked. Listen, we ain't going to have to do that in heaven. You're not going to have to lock the door because there's not going to be any sin there. There's not going to be any thieves there. There's not even going to be a temptation to sin there. There will be no sin present. God's love means that he cannot tolerate it. His love means that he cannot tolerate sin. And his love for us makes us angry towards sin. So his wrath demonstrates his goodness. You buying what I'm selling? I can go back and cover that again. All right, we'll move on. Third thing is this. God's wrath sometimes allows us to experience the consequences of the choices we make. Some theologians will call this or, or speak to this as the passive wrath of God. Passive means that God just sets back and says, okay... As you wish. You know, okay, as you desire. We see it here in, in verse 7. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. And we read that verse and we think, well, that doesn't sound very fair. You know, you look at that and think, God, that, that's, that's not fair at all. I mean, God shouldn't hold the great-grandchildren accountable for the sins of the great-grandparents. And that would be unfair. 
It would be unfair, but that's not what this verse means. That's not what it's talking about. How do I know that? Because Moses also talked about it over in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Moses says, each person will be punished only for their own sin. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 18, 20, the child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. So what's God saying here about himself in verse number seven? Well, it's actually pretty easy to understand. Parent sins all have consequences that affect their kids. That's what it means. A parent's sins will have consequences on the rest of the family. If I embezzle money from this church and I go to jail, are my children and my family going to suffer because of it? Of course they are. If you cheat on your wife and you leave her for somebody else, will your kids suffer because of your action? Of course they will. God's wrath often consist of allowing us and those around us to experience the consequences of our choices. And hell, some scholars say, is described basically as the end result of that, the end result of sin and those consequences that go along with it. Think about how Jesus described hell. And oh yes, by the way, Jesus did talk about hell. So we will talk about it in the church. Jesus described hell like this. It's a place where the worm dieth not. Well, what does that mean? Where the worm dieth not. Well, it's actually a Jewish illustration that he's giving the people there and to us. It's this picture of a conscience that is continually being eaten away at by guilt and regret. Okay? He says that it's a place of outer darkness. Well, what's that? Well, it's a picture of the absence of God and all His goodness. That's what darkness is, because He is the light. Without His presence being there, it will be darkness. And, and Jesus goes on to say, hell is a place of the gnashing of teeth. It, it's this picture that illustrates the self-condemnation and the pain of the ongoing consequences that sin causes. Jesus says that it's a place of fire, which is the agony of God's displeasure with sin and its effect on his creation. Jesus is basically saying this, and don't miss this. Here's what hell is. Hell is the end result of you telling God to stay out of your life and him saying, okay. That's what hell will be. It will be you getting exactly what you asked for and what you wanted. Hell and God's wrath is simply God giving you what you have been asking for all along. And so God's love for you and God's mercy for you now is letting you taste and experience some of the consequences because he's trying to wake you up and get your attention. Here are the consequences, and these consequences are going to continue to eat away at you like a worm. And they will ultimately destroy you. And this may kind of seem like a contradiction with the point, but I said earlier, sometimes, which is not all the time, because I believe there's also another scenario here if you think about it. We always think that when we get caught in our bad behavior, that when we get caught, that's God's judgment. Right? We, we often uh, think that when a husband or a wife gets caught in the middle of an affair, that that's God's judgment. I would argue that that is God's mercy. God's wrath is when he actually allows it to go on and continue. 
God's wrath is actually when he or she gets away with it. When God backs up and says, okay, have it your way. Do what you want to do. It's not God's judgment when you get caught. It's God's mercy. It's God trying to give you a way out before it totally destroys you for an eternity. And then the last thing that I want to point out here and who God says he is is this. And it's something we touched on last week, but it's so important. God's wrath comes slowly, but it will come. In verse 6, he says, this is who I am. I am slow to anger, but I do not excuse the guilty. He's slow to anger because he wants you to repent. He's slow to anger because he wants you to wake up. Peter talks about this in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's, uh, you know, that, that one of the things that characterizes the human race is this. We misunderstand the space that God gives us to repent. Alright? We misunderstand that that space and that time that God gives us to repent. And we, we, we confuse that with the absence of God's anger. And so the example that Peter uses here in talking about this is the flood in the Old Testament with Noah, right? God said because of the wickedness of the human race, he was going to destroy the world with a flood, right? Things had gotten so bad, God said, all right, there's no other option than this. I'm going to destroy this entire wicked world with a flood. And then he waited a hundred years to do it. And during that hundred years, everybody told Noah he was crazy. Noah's building a boat. He's preaching. The world is going to be destroyed by a flood, right? And they've been going, Noah, you've been saying that for, for nearly a hundred years now. You've lost your stinking mind, Noah. You just keep saying it over and over again. Just because you keep saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Doesn't mean it's going to be real. But all of us that have ever been in Sunday school, we know exactly what happened, right? The flood came just like God said it would come. There was a flood. And Peter says, you know, here's what's going to happen in our day. This is what it looked like back in Noah's day. Here's what it's going to look like in our day. People will say, where's the promise of his coming? You silly Christians have been talking about Jesus coming back for nearly 2,000 years now. 2,000 years you've been saying Jesus is coming back soon. You probably still put your teeth under your pillow at night. And, or in a glass, either one, about the same. But it, I just totally ruined this entire point that I was about to make. I mean, I was driving the nail home, and then I could just picture someone's teeth in a glass, and I don't even know. I don't know why I thought that, but... But here, here's, here's the point. All right, Jesus says, people are going to say... People are going to question, where's this promise of his coming? You know, 2,000 years. And God's saying this. Don't miss this. God's saying, do not let what I intend to be mercy and a space for you to repent, do not confuse that with my absence. Do not confuse that space. Do not confuse this time that I'm giving you as my absence. Listen, the flood came. 
I will return. God has given us a space to repent and he wants you to wake up so don't confuse his slowness to anger with his absence. Don't confuse his slowness to anger with him saying what you're doing and how you're living is okay. Don't confuse it with his absence. We, we see it in the story of the plagues in Egypt. For those of you that are familiar with the story, with each plague that came, it was like God's voice was getting louder and louder and louder and louder. Wake up, wake up, wake up! Can I ask you? Is that happening to you? Is his voice just seem to be getting louder and louder? Maybe it seems like everything just continually goes from bad to worse or falling apart. Several years ago, I was talking to a young man about his struggle with having a relationship with God. He was in a bad way. He was in a bad situation. Nothing good was really going on in his life or coming out of his life. He was struggling. He wasn't walking with God, and he wasn't even willing to surrender his life to God at all. And I remember talking with him, and at this point in his life, it seemed like everything he did, he was in trouble. Every, every decision he made, everything that he did, he was just constantly uh, in trouble. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't stay out of it. His life was a mess. A close friend at the time had recently died from a drug overdose. Was a, a close friend of his. And so he was really struggling with all these things that were going in and on in his life and how bad it was and how messy it was and how it had gotten. And, and I remember uh, he said, nothing in my life seems to be going right. Everything is just bad. And then he looked at me and he said, Steve, do you think God is trying to speak to me? I said, no, man. I believe that he is screaming at you. And I said, I think you know that. He said, I do. And I was able to spend some time with him and talk with him more in the future. And he ultimately gave his life to Christ and was saved and is now in the church and actively serving God. But I tell you that story today because that may be where you're at right now. It may not be that dramatic or it may even be worse than that. I, I, I don't know. And if you'll pay attention, God is speaking. He is he's speaking to you, and it may seem like he's getting louder and louder and louder, and his voice is saying to you, wake up. I am slow to anger because I want you to wake up and repent. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's been very patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So don't confuse this season of mercy. Don't confuse the time that he's given you to wake up. Don't confuse it with God's absence. 
The last person that wants you to experience the wrath of God is God. Jesus took your place. He absorbed all that wrath for you, but he's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force you to receive it. I've shared this story before, but I think it's a beautiful picture of God in our lives. It's the strangest Supreme Court ruling that I've ever heard about. It happened in 1833. It's the United States versus George Wilson. And George Wilson was a man who he had committed a series of crimes. And because of the seriousness of his crimes, he was actually received the death penalty for what he had done. But because his crimes were politically motivated, the sitting president at the time was Andrew Jackson. And in 1830, Andrew Jackson, the president, issued a pardon for George Wilson and all of those that were involved in this crime. He gave him a full and complete pardon. The warden of the prison receives the pardon. He walks down the hall and he delivers it to the cell where George Wilson had been for there for a few years. And Wilson said, I will not receive the pardon. And the warden goes, what do you mean? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? The President of the United States has issued you a full pardon. I've got it right here. You're free to go. And Wilson said, I refuse to receive it. And I, I don't know why he didn't refuse, why he refused it or didn't accept it. Maybe he's just wanting to take a stand and, and, and he felt like he, you know, he wanted to fight for his cause or whatever it was. But he, he would not receive uh, the, the pardon. Matter of fact, he fought it in court. I will not receive the pardon. It went all the way up through the courts to the United States Supreme Court. And in 1833... The Supreme Court made a decision, one of the strangest ones that I've ever heard. And they essentially said this in their ruling. A pardon must be received to be valid. It's an act of grace that cannot be forced. If unreceived, it's valid. And George Wilson was executed with a pardon for full release sitting on the warden's desk. Listen, God has paid for your sin. He has issued a full pardon. And the tragedy is this. Some of you are going to go into hell and face the wrath of God with your sins paid for. And the last voice that you might hear as you step off of earth into hell is the voice of Jesus saying, you don't have to do it. But he won't force it upon you. You have to receive it. You have to receive the pardon. Have you received it? Have you repented of your sin and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, can I ask you this? Has it transformed your life? How could you and I understand this pardon? 
How, how could we understand the, the love and the compassion and the wrath of God and not be telling everybody that we know about it? How can we not? How can we not build the kingdom? How can we not stand on the mountaintop and shout it when we know it and understand it? We'll want everybody else to know it too. Do you know why we do everything that we do here at the church? It's not just a social club. It's not just a gathering where we all come together to feel good uh, about ourselves. The reason we do everything we do here is because we want other people to know that the pardon has been extended and we want them to receive it. That's why we do what we do here. Listen, God has made a way for your salvation. God has made a way for you to be saved. You have to receive it. Have you? Have you received it? Are you talking about it? Are you sharing it? Would you bow your eyes, bow your heads with me this morning and, and, and close your eyes? And I just want to ask you, do you know that you've repented? Do you know that you have repented and trusted Christ and received this pardon? If not, you can do it right now. You can do it right now through a very simple prayer to Him if you mean it. You don't have to say it out loud, but you need to mean it. and You have to say it to Him. If you want to receive your pardon today, just pray this prayer to Him right now. Say, Dear God, I thank You for loving me. Thank You for sending Jesus into the world. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift today of eternal life. I receive my pardon today. Now help me with the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to You. Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if that's your commitment, if you've received that pardon today, would you just slip your hand in the air? Hold your hand up. Hold it high there for one minute. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. I see that hand. I see those hands all over. Anybody else this morning? I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? Let me just pray for you this morning. God, we are so grateful for your love for us. We want to thank you for the way that you forgive us and the way that you move and the way that you work uh, in our lives. Thank you for each person today that has reached towards you, not just with their hand, but with their hearts and with their lives. And, and I thank you. I, I pray that you, you would grab their hand, that you would fill their heart, you would fill their life with your love and, and with your hope and with your purpose. God, thank you today for your goodness. Thank you for your unconditional love for us. Thank you for the space and the time that you have given us. You are slow to anger because you love us so and you've given us ample time, God. And we thank you for that. And I pray that for those of us that are here today that have received your pardon, God, I pray that we'd be faithful with it. I pray that we would be faithful in sharing it and, and telling other people about it. Because, God, it's only good news. It's only the gospel when it's been received and when it's been shared with others. And I pray that you would find us faithful and find us obedient. 
as we share our pardon with this world around us that needs so desperately to be pardoned. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done. We can hardly wait to see in the days ahead how you continue to bring glory and honor to yourself. It's in Jesus' powerful name, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we close out with the chorus of that song we were singing earlier today. Salvation's waiting